We're going right on back in the book of Acts in chapter 19. We left off at chapter or verse 35 last week, and we were we were talking about Paul in Ephesus and there was a riot that had broken out. And if we remember that the reason that riot had broken out was because we had a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Demetrius. He was a silversmith. And he was bringing, bringing attention to the citizens of the city of Ephesus that the way that things are going that the the god that they so wonderfully you know love to worship is a is perhaps in trouble and really and truly it stems from demetrius and his guild of silversmiths making silver shrines that they would sell to people uh, of artemis or diana depending on which way you look at it. diana is the, the roman version of this god Artemis is the Greek version of this god. Um, the Romans were a little lazy, you know. They kind of copied off the Greeks and just renamed their gods. But the, when you when you look through different translations of Scripture, you might see Diana, you might see um, Artemis. But nonetheless, this whole industry is built around making these silver shrines and selling them to people. And so let's let's back up just a little bit and uh, and start. Um, I'll read from I'll, we'll read from 23 on down again just so we can get a, a, a feeling of how this all developed. It says in verse 23 in Acts chapter 19 it says about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way or concerning Christianity for a man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen <clears throat> these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be de deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So he's appealing to these silversmiths and appealing to these people that our livelihood may go away, but more important than that, what brings us together in our worship may also <clears throat> be at risk. So we talked about that last week, how he's appealing to their, to their sense of um, financial stability, and he's also appealing to their, their love of city, love of country, love of culture. In verse 28, it says, when they heard these that when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater. Now the theater held about 10,000 people. <clears throat> so this is no little group of people that's gathering. So the city filled with, with the confusion, they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and <clears throat> Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
and most of them did not know why they had come together. So again, you got a you got a mass confusion, a mob of potentially thousands of people, and since some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Um, a bit of speculation here, perhaps, but why does it? Why did it matter? We don't really know the significance of Alexander. We know that he was prompted to kind of come forward, and perhaps he was trying to to tell them something to 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 quell them. I'm not sure, but they wouldn't let him speak. What's the significance of Luke telling us here that he was a Jew before they kind of shouted him down? Is there, is there a significance you can think of? In this situation, we have a group of people who have come together for the, the essentially the worship of a false god, worship of a material god, and this guy starts to talk to them, and, well, he's a Jew, so we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to hear what he has to say. Is that, why is that important? He's not I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. When they recognize he was a Jew, they say, Well, wait a minute, Jews don't Jews don't have uh, the, the same thought we do either. They, they, they don't worship false gods. Uh, they don't they don't worship things made of silver that we sit in our houses. And so they probably looked at him and realized, well, he's not gonna say anything different uh, that we want to hear. He may not talk about Christ. But he's certainly not going to say that we should be worshiping a um, something made by man. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the the point of it all. Um, and so they they recognize the fact that if somebody's not going to say what they want to hear, they don't want to hear from them. And uh, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, when one <clears throat> you have a group of people who are confused, you have a lot of the people who just followed the crowd and just went there because. Like I mentioned to you yesterday, that, that saying that uh, a mob is, a, uh, is a, a group with a lot of heads but very few brains. And sometimes you just get into that, that, um, that mob mentality and they all go along. And so, so here's what, this is what's taking place. In verse 35, we get into the town clerk starting to talk to them. And so in verse 35, we see, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, so the town clerk has had the ability to, to get everybody kind of settled down. He says, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. I think you'll, you'll see different, different renderings of that. Um, apparently, from what I was reading, meteorites were a, an object that were, were used in worship of Diana and worship of Artemis. And so whenever there was a, a, a great object or a stone that fell from the sky, it was a sign of some sort. And so they would, they would keep that and put it in a place where it could be revered and looked at as something incredible. And so, so the clerk here is, is even mentioning that and saying, we're, you know, everybody in, everybody in the world knows that we're the keeper of all things with regard to, to Artemis. And we even have the, the great rock that fell from the sky. <clears throat> in verse 36, it says, Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. 
for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. So in other words, he's saying kind of the opposite of the charges that have been brought forth. They're saying that they're, these, these people are not saying anything that, that really goes against our, our God. They're, they're not talking bad about our God. So I wonder if, I mean, if I'm going around telling people that you should not be worshiping idols and that Jesus is the way, and someone interprets that as, well, they're, they're not really, really blasphemers or being sacrilegious about our goddess. Is it because they didn't specifically call out their God that they're worshiping? Because it feels like to me that they would be sacrilegious and would be, so it might, might all be in the interpretation. I don't know, what do you think? Anybody want to add anything to that? Is that when, I, when I first read that, I kind of thought, huh, he's not hearing the same thing that they're saying, I don't think. I think it has to do with economics. <laughs> Like, these are potential tours and dollars. People are coming to the city to worship Diana, to buy the trinkets, and that's, that's money in their pocket. But what's bad for that is the riot. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to come to a violent city. So I no, I think you I think you got a good a really good point there. So 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 can you see the the irony here though? Taking let's take that into consideration, and let's also well let's let's finish reading. I'll talk about the, the total irony. Um, so verse thirty one. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen will with him have a complaint against anyone, there are, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So he settled everybody down. So let's let's think about that. The first part, I agree with you, that he's, he's appealing to some extent here to their... Uh, to the same elements that were appealed to to rile them up. We have to keep in mind, Ephesus was granted something kind of unique in the, in, the, the, in the Roman Empire. They could have their own government. Ephesus was a bit of a standalone city, and the Romans kind of left them alone in that regard. And so the Romans would probably like nothing more than to have an excuse to come in and uproot that government and say, now we're, we're taking control. So one of the last things you want is a riot of 10,000 people acting up and the Romans saying, guess what, people? You, can't, you just can't govern yourselves. We, we got to come in and pull the plug on this. We're now in charge. And so by, by making these statements, the... Uh, excuse me, the town clerk is actually appealing to some of the exact same things that Demetrius appealed to to rile them up. He's saying, listen, you know, you got to watch it because everybody knows we have all these wonderful things and everybody knows we're the keeper of these things. And yes, you're right. We sell them. And, and there's a way to handle this. Demetrius, if you guys have a problem, take it through the system. Take it through the courts. Let's not mess up what we have. 
<clears throat> and so in a, in a sense, he was able to appeal to their sense of love of city and their freedoms that they have to say the very things that riled you up, if you look at it on this side, need to calm you down as well. But there's one other thing that really comes from this. In a way, there's a validation that takes place of what Paul is doing. Because the Romans, and this is the second or third time that we've seen this, any Roman officials and any city officials that seem to examine what's taking place find no fault in Paul and his, and his cohorts as they're spreading the gospel throughout the cities. So, so God is helping to, to pave the way for them to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. So I was trying to read back. Does it ever actually say that Paul said anything about the Whatever Nothing that I could find either. No, I, not that not that it's written anyway that I could see. That's what I was thinking. Maybe the town clerk was getting it. He never said anything about her. So it really is just two people that are mad that they can't sell in the idols anymore, and none of you know why you're fighting with them. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah, that may very well be what he meant by that. <clears throat> yeah, because I honestly didn't see anything either where 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 Paul's where it's written that Paul specifically said something. You'd have a hard time believing he didn't. Um, but at the same time, your your point's well taken that that you know perhaps he's he's speaking in generalities of of false gods and generalities of and so the interpretation should be I'm worshiping an idol, right? Then. Uh, but but it, it really needs to go further than that. It needs to go, and you know, it, for application purposes, if we start talking about worshiping false gods and worshiping idols, boy, today do we not have an open book of things. While we may not openly walk around and, and buy silver shrines of of Diana and put in our house. Um, the world is is filled with things that distract our attention and come before God. You know, whether it's our job, whether it's our, our even our families. I mean, there are things that that while they are important and it's good to take care of them and do what what we have been uh, tasked with doing, anything that we put before God becomes an idol, and uh, and it's kind of a wide open discussion. Anything else on that that we want to mention? I want to read to you something from uh, get up here to the actual verse I'm way behind uh, something that um, Warren Wiersbe had to say about this whole situation um, let me read some of this to you he says it was the city clerk who finally got matters under control and he did it primarily for political reasons. Ephesus was permitted by Rome to exist as a free city with its own elected assembly, but the Romans would have rejoiced to find an excuse for removing these privileges. The same tactics that the silversmith used to arouse the mob, the clerk used to quiet and reassure them the, great, the greatness of their city and their goddess. But he goes on to say that Luke records the official statement that the believers were innocent of any crime, either public or private. Paul had the same kind of official approval in Philippi and in Corinth. <clears throat> 
and he would receive it again after his arrest in Jerusalem. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke makes it clear that the persecution of the Christian church was incited by the unbelieving Jews and not by the Romans. If anything, Paul used his Roman citizenship to protect himself, his friends, and his local assemblies. The crowd was dismissed, and no doubt the people went home congratulating themselves that they had succeeded in defending their great city and their famous goddess. It's doubtful that many of them questioned the truthfulness of their religion or determined to investigate what Paul had been preaching for three years. And he says after that, it's much easier to believe a lie and follow the crowd. Now, we don't know how, tr how true that conjecture is there, but it certainly is true to say it is much easier to believe a lie and follow the crowd. I want to take just, just take to, to pause for a second and think about, think about society and think about what has happened in the last, those of us who can remember, in the last 10, 15, 20 30 years, and how once a, a lie about sinful behavior or about activity, something that goes against God, and you can pick several, becomes popular, it's so much easier just to follow. It's so much easier to step back from your beliefs and that's why we are we see so many things when we when we take a snapshot of culture today and a snapshot of the church today and compare it to culture and the church throughout the the years past you can see where people absolutely tend to take the, they're just like electricity they tend to follow the path of least resistance and and it's a scary thing that as, as, our, as our young people get born into a society where this big lump of things is now acceptable that wasn't acceptable here, it actually creates a foundation for more and more sinful behavior to become acceptable. And so one of our challenges as believers and people who, are, who have families, people who are involved in ministry, is to be able to take God's word, realizing it's never changing, realizing that there are things today that we may go home, turn on our television, watch a TV show, and completely ignore, whereas 15, 20 years ago, we would have went, well, that goes completely against God's word. And now we accept it. And when we accept it and our younger people, whether they're children, grandchildren, or whoever they may be, don't see us speaking out against it, we're setting the stage for them to more easily accept and fall in the future. And, and so this, when I was reading through what Wearsby wrote and I, and I got to that, it's much easier to believe a lie than follow the crowd. It just, that just hit me. Um, he goes on to say, but Ephesus is gone and so is the worldwide worship of Diana of the Ephesians. The city and the temple are gone and the silversmith's guild is gone. Ephesus is a place visited primarily by archaeologists and people on Holy Land tours, yet the gospel of God's grace and the church of Jesus Christ are still here. We have four inspired letters that were sent to the saints in Ephesus, Ephesians 1 and 2, Timothy, and Revelation. The, the name of Paul is honored, and the name of Demetrius is forgotten. Were it not for Paul, we would not have met Demetrius in the first place. 
The church ministers by persuasion, not by propaganda. We share God's truth, not man's religious lies. Our motive is love, not anger, and our glory and the glory of, of God, not the praise of men. This is why the church goes on and we must keep it so. I wanted to just share those words with you because I thought they hit, they hit pretty well and hit pretty hard. Um, I, was, I was speaking to, I don't think I shared this with you. Uh, I got a phone call from a, a gentleman down in, um, in, in the other Bellevue, Kentucky. And, uh, and when, he, when he called me and I told him, I said, oh, yeah, my, my home church is actually Bellevue, Bellevue Bottoms. He said, oh, yeah, you're the other one. That's what we say about you. But he was, uh, he was 80, I think he said he was 82 years old. And uh, he had he called and left me a message to uh, talk to me about coming down and preaching for him for a while. And uh, when I called him back, he answered the phone and I tried to talk to him. He couldn't hear what I was saying. He said, hang on a minute, I got to turn off my air conditioner. So he turned it off and he got back on the phone and he says, young man, it is 8.30 at night. Do you have any idea? It's 8.30. I said, yes, sir, I do. He says, where have you been? I said, I don't know who this man is. I've never met him. And uh, we go on to have a conversation for about a half hour or so. And he was talking about his church. They have a very nice facility down there. Um, but he talked about how when he first started going to the church there, there were near 500 people attending that church. And he said, now there's about 20. And they can't even afford a full-time pastor. They're trying to find a bi-vocational pastor to come in and help to keep things alive. And he said, it's essentially, he says, he, he leads the music down there. And he said, I get up and I tell people to stand. But he said, I don't ask them to stand very long because it, we're just an older congregation and they can't. And, uh, and, he's, and he was, I mean, he, was, he was, wasn't joking about it. He's just being, being truth about, telling truth about where they're at. And they're, they're right in the middle of Bellevue. They're right in the middle of the city. There's people all around them. And they have a desire and a love to get out and spread the word. But unfortunately, they're not physically able to, most of them. And they're wondering what will become of their church. I, I, I tell you that to, to say, realize what we have here at Bellevue is special, for, for one thing. Um, but also to, to continue to look for opportunities uh, just to encourage people wherever they are to find a church and to attend. Take the opportunity when you're out and you're witnessing and you're talking and, and you're, you're just with your coworkers or with other family members. Church attendance is, is, is something that is going to continue to go down if something isn't done. And it, it's, it's just an indicator of the overarching failure that's going on in the United States today where people are falling away from God. Um, the worshiping of false idols. Without a doubt. It's, it's at the heart of all of it. It's at the heart of all of it. Um, and, and the Baptist church, especially right now, is, is still getting, getting hammered. Uh, if you spend any time on social media, um, you, you'll find an awful lot of folks who are, are, quote, deconstructing their faith. If you've ever seen that term thrown around lately, where they, they, they start breaking down why they believe what they believe. And at the end, they find out all these reasons why they shouldn't be believing at all and turn away from the faith. Um, it's, it is a, it's just a, uh, it's becoming a bit of a fad uh, to, to turn away from, 
from what you've been brought up with. So just just keep that in mind that that as believers, you know, we we need to be we need to be the foundation, but we need to point people toward the rock. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm rambling and it's almost time to to stop. I'll I'll give uh, a last minute here for any further questions or comments. All right, Mary, I'll have to keep that in mind. Are they open year round? Because it might be cold by the time I get there. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, anything else? Something that you mentioned. Uh, you know, inviting people to church and stuff. I found, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, this is probably two years ago now, and I was telling a story about inviting this guy to church, and the guy had no, um, he had no interest really, and I was just kind of sharing that story, how sad it was, and he said, well, it sounds like you did a good job of, of inviting him to church, but you didn't even, you know, you didn't even invite him to Christ. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and many people have been wounded heavily by the church. They have. And that's not the place for a church going from 500 to 20. No. Uh, we got to be careful not to idolize the church also, you know. I'm not saying that's what you were saying. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, come on down to church. I'm like, that's where everything started to go really bad for me, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, says some people. So, uh, we just have to be like really cognizant of how to how to navigate conversations in a Jesus oriented manner. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's incredibly important that that it, it, it does need to be a part of your overall witnessing and walk, right? Because because if if you're if you're presenting Jesus properly, then the hope is that they'll be able to see through you what they're missing by not being here and being a part of it. Yeah. And so, but, but no, you're right. It, it, it's, it's, it's a point well taken that, um, there's, there's countless people that have been wounded and hurt, um, in many times without, without anybody even knowing that they've been wounded or hurt. Um, and, and we do have to be cognizant of that because emotions are real and pain is real, but no, I appreciate that. Anything else? John has a old story about a, a church that called fire once. You know, they had fire trucks there, and people from all over came and just watching it. And the preacher saw this one guy just lived a few doors down. He said, Well, it's the first time I've ever seen you at church. The guy said, Well, I've never seen the church on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. <laughs> you and Mary should sit a little closer together. No. <laughs> I'm going to remember that one, and I'm going to use it. Can I, can I use? Do I have to credit you when I do? No. Okay, I'm just checking. All right, y'all witnesses now. Okay. No citation needed. No, not at all. Not at all. And can you get a count of everybody here for me, please? Yeah. Because Sue's not here. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank y'all for being here again. I appreciate it immensely. Appreciate the discussion. And uh, next week we can get into. Uh, uh, for, uh, chapter 20 actually and uh, talk about Paul in Macedonia and Greece and we'll continue on through here and keep reading about what's going on. Alright, let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much for this day. Father, thank you for the discussion we've had here. Thank you again for your word, Lord, and, and uh, preserving it for us and uh, for the freedoms that we have to come here. Um, Lord, I, I, I do pray for, for your church. Um, Lord, I pray that that, uh, that that folks can see what they're missing by not being a part of a, of a good Bible-believing local church. Um, I pray that those who have been wounded and hurt uh, by church in the past will we'll come to a realization that that running away from church is not the answer um, but but committing their life to you and then being an influence within the church and uh, and following your your lead and and being obedient to you uh, that's the answer uh, Lord we are just again so thankful for this day Lord I ask and, and pray that you'll be with us as we depart from this room and enter into the sanctuary uh, be with brother Tink this morning as he brings the message that you've laid upon his heart Lord and we pray that it will be effective Lord we pray that, uh, that that hearts will be opened decisions will be made and relationships with you will be strengthened Father thank you once again for everything you've done for us and as always we look forward to what you'll do it's in Jesus blessed name we pray Amen, Amen.